Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection, with free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Well, we are back with Rick Benoit for part two of our interview. If you missed the first interview, shame on you, but please go check it out again. Rick Benoit, the president of Bowl U, joining us. For more on them, go to bowlu.com. First interview, we kind of hit, Rick, a lot of the uh, your thoughts on the game and what can be done. Uh, you spoke a lot about a, a large pool of bowlers and what we need to do to um, – to help our sport, basically, and to kind of just, in your opinion, leave those bowlers alone. So I, again, would invite uh, a lot of folks go check that out, talk a little bit about sport bowling and, and some of the things on Bowl U. But our second interview here, I really just want to focus a lot more on coaching. Uh, you mentioned a few coaching tips, but um, I want to focus some, some more on coaching. So I want to thank you for joining us uh, again for uh, a second podcast here on the Above180.com podcast. Works for me, guys. Look forward to it. Excellent. Well, I know we've had a lot of coaches on over the past, you know, almost three years that me and Joe have been doing these shows. And one of the things that we hear from them is uh, a lot of times they talk about consistency, repeating shot after shot. That's what uh, a lot of the, the best in our game do, the Walter Rays, the Norm Dukes, uh, the players of that, the Pete Webbers, uh, they repeat shots. So what do you think is one thing that can help your, an average bowler, a bowler, to repeat shots? Well, I'm going to tell you that what I've found through experience, and, and, you know, there's some of us that take things for granted. Some of us are born with great feel. Others of us are not. Now, there's people that develop great feel for what's going on during execution, whether it be in their hands or feet. They have great feel of what I call feel points in their body. But until they learn to feel it, then they really don't know if they're repeating it or not. So the first step is to teach them how to feel the shot. And that's that's an important part. Now, from there, it's really more mental than anything else. I've found there is a common denominator amongst great bowlers. And the common denominator, no matter what era they're from, is the process, the thought process. There is, the common denominator is they commit to what they believe in. Now, that's an important part. You don't have to be right, but you do have to be committed. So it's important that we teach what I call gather, sort, commit, because that's the common denominator amongst great bowlers. I've listened to Walter Ray and his opinions about, you know, ball layouts. Well, they don't make any difference. Walter, come on. Yes, they do. (laughs) But he 
committed to his own beliefs. Same thing is true with Earl Anthony, Mark Roth, Marshall Holman, Chris Barnes, any of the great bowlers, they commit to what they believe in. And those are two things that you must teach, and that's the, that is the most important thing for repetition. Can that be taught, Rick, or is that a learned behavior? It is definitely taught. It can be. Some, some people have, like, you know, Walter Ray, horseshoes. The guy had, you know, when he's a world champion, he's throwing, like, 94% ringers. His expectations are to never miss his target. Other people, when they start bowling, their expectations are a little bit different. Chris Barnes, who are playing putt-putt, playing basketball, playing baseball, great field sports. They learn and they develop those things actually off of the bowling lane, and then they use those lessons that they've learned on the lane. And, and a lot of that's subconscious. They don't even realize it. But I found out through drills that I do, I can identify who the great bowlers are without even going into the bowling center because they have great feel. And when I challenge their feel, they separate themselves before we even go to the bowling center. We know who they are. Getting back to the commitment uh, you were talking about, a lot of good bowlers I know, they have confidence in their game, confidence in their ability, Yet when they make that move or ball change, their thought process is they're committed, but there's still some self-doubt in the back of their mind, which possibly can prevent them from throwing their best shot. Is this what you try and help them overcome? Without a doubt. There's a simple mental cycle that which we try to follow through. And there's four stages of that mental cycle. And if you can identify what stage you're in, that simplifies this process. You're not even supposed to be on the lane unless you've committed to whatever you've done. Whatever your strategy is, if you're not committed to it, you've got the ball in your hand, then you just aren't following the mental cycle. It's a simple four-stage process. You have preparation, you have commitment, you have execution, and then you have a reaction cycle, and it's just a continuous circle and you just identify what stage you're in. And you don't, it, it, it happens so fast. That's where a lot of bowlers get screwed up, is everything in between shots, they don't know, they haven't trained their subconscious to go through that cycle continuously. So next thing you know, the reaction cycle is affecting the preparation cycle. They don't go through the preparation cycle. Oops, they forgot the commitment cycle. Now they're standing on the approach with the ball in their hand. They're not ready. So it's a real simple lesson to learn. So, Rick, I have, a, I have a, a question for you. As a lot of our members, and myself included, you know, we're, we're heading out to the USBC Open. So we have a lot of people that they going through what you're saying there. They've prepared. You know, let's say they've practiced maybe back at their home house on the pattern, although, you know, we get it. It's not going to play the same. But they've prepared. They've looked at the pattern. They've read online. They've listened to some of our shows, or we've talked to some of the, the folks that have bowled, the, you know, the tournament. So they kind of have an idea. Now they get on the lanes. And let's say they see something completely different. They got a, the, the 
they got to be able to just go in there with that open mind to say, you know what, I may have thought I was going to need this, but I really actually need to go to this bowling ball because this isn't what I'm seeing out there, even though other people saw it. Is that something, I guess, that you also, uh, you know, I understand you have to prepare for something and commit to something, but then when do you go away from that commitment? Well, you don't. You don't, you don't ever go away from it. But one thing you need to understand in the skill development part of bowling is great bowlers play their ball role. They don't play. Their first focus isn't the lane condition. You develop a type of ball role that's not so sensitive to oil movement. And if you haven't taken the time to develop that skill, you're going to go to this pair, and it's going to be totally different than the pair you book the next one. This pattern isn't going to play like it did somewhere else. There's so many other things that, that creep in because the skill development part of it. It's not about whether you have high rev rate, low rev rate. It's whether your ball is sensitive. Your ball motion, your personal game is sensitive to oil movement. If you have a game that's sensitive to oil movement, you're going to be challenged with those types of situations quite often, actually. Especially, especially at the stadium because you have such a uh, big difference between lane to lane at the stadium. And then when you start, you know, when you're in a team environment, if, if the commitment, if the strategies don't match up with the team that is out there working together, then you have another situation where transition makes a big difference. It's very important that people understand that bowling always has been, always will be about transition, not the applied pattern. It's about transition. And if you don't understand that and you don't create a type of physical game that allows you to play within those foundations of understanding, then you've got a problem. And that's where a lot of people you know, are challenged. So, Rick, I have a question for you regarding reading lane conditions uh, at beginning stages as well as through early transition. How do bowlers recognize, and again, recognition is key, of when the mid lane oil amount is depleting or the back ends are getting tighter? In other words, the difference between the two, because I'm sure they don't always uh, work the same. In other words, the mid lane may go away first, the back ends make it tighter first. How do bowlers recognize this to make ball changes or different layout changes? Well, if you're trying to understand that somebody, uh, that you, as the individual bowler, you may not be able to, may not need to be the one that understands it. But what you really need is some, uh, let's just go with the word coaching, because that's probably, you know, the best uh, definition or the best term to use that comes from experience. And what you really find out is that good ball motion starts from the pins and comes back to the foul line. Good ball motion never changes. How we accomplish it changes every day. But you need to be looking at it as from a perspective of the pins and not the foul line perspective. There's a huge challenge of the optical illusions in our sport that start at the pins. 
there's a whole lot of people who have developed their game without this understanding. And if you don't understand, you know, everybody's ball, it doesn't matter what your style is, when it gets to the pin, it's taken a very similar path. It's just whether you're using the sideboards or not. Are you mixing the pins? Are you kicking them sideways? Are you laying them straight back? How are you striking? Those are things that come from experience, and that's why coaching is so important. If you want to gain that information, it's out there. You just have to go get it. And, you know, we want to speed up that learning curve, and that's what MOLU is going to do for people. So how do you do that? You understand the pins first, because you don't strike the same on twister pins as you do on bundling match pins. They're just not the same. And if you don't understand that, then, you know, you just need to, you need to get that information, okay? There's, in today's game, when I talk to people, when I talk to bowlers, the conversation is always balls and lanes. And they don't even talk about the pins. But 15, 20 years ago, the conversation started with the pins and carry. What's carrying? What works? What doesn't work? Then we worked our way back to foul line. Today, everybody starts at the foul line. I go to Wichita State, and I'm talking to the players, and I say, well, what are you seeing on the lane? Well, he's standing on 27 and going over 15. Well, to me, that's the wrong place to start, and that's what most bowlers are doing right now. They're focusing on the ball in the lane. They're not focusing on the pins back to the foul line. Well, Rick, let's get back to what you are just talking about, what you alluded to with the uh, the twister pins, because um, funny funny thing that you bring that up, because last night in, in league play I was bowling with a guy, and um, he said he has such a hard time carrying at one of the centers up in the area here, they, they have the twisters. And it's, it's funny that this guy would tell me that because he's a left-hander, has a good amount of speed and a good amount of rev. So he's probably, you know, almost slightly more rev-matched, rev-matched, uh, rev-dominant player. And so it sounded to me like listening, like he would be a guy who would match up perfectly on twister pins because the thought on a lot of those is uh, twister pins is you can hit them light and the pins kind of scatter, but he doesn't. So what does someone do if they have a hard time matching up on a specific pin or they know that a house has those pins or, or has something like that. So what can uh, me as a bowler do to, to, uh, to match up a little bit better on those, uh, with those pins? Well, with the pins, with the twister pins, you don't get as much deflection through the pins. Your bowling ball does not get the, the accepted normal amount of deflection. So you have to create more deflection through the pins. In some people, it's a lighter ball. In other people, it's a slower ball. And if you don't understand what slower and quicker response means, then that's another challenge. But it's really about deflection. The twister pins, you don't have as much deflection as you do in, uh, in other places, in other pins, I should say. So you really need to be focused on how much of that you're getting. Now, you know, if you're using a ball that has... And when you really truly understand ball motion, it's always relative to a term that I call response time. And I use that term because I can equate that to every element of the sport. Every factor of ball motion can be related to response time. The physical game, the ball layout, the lane conditions, the pin deflection, everything you need 
just needs to go up and down a friction level and around the response time clock. So it's a pretty simple understanding once you get it. But that's an example of what you got to do with a twister pin. you got to have a slower response fall because when it gets down range, it's going to have more deflection through the pins. So, Rick, I have a question for you uh, regarding misconceptions. Uh, you've dealt with many bowlers over the last few decades. Uh, what's one of the more common or biggest misconceptions most bowlers have regarding their ball choice or equipment choice uh, during league play or tournament play? Well, I think that the biggest confusion doesn't necessarily come from the, the kids that learned the bowl in this era. I think the biggest confusion comes from the people who grew up in an era where hope was a friction factor. And that was, that was it. You use more surface, you use less surface. Well, response time has always been a factor. It just was in a much small, smaller scale. I go talk to kids that started bowling in the middle 90s to now who never thrown a urethane ball, and they seem to get it easier than those that have experienced the past. So I think the biggest misconception right now amongst the ball choices is how to use friction and response time together and understand how to use those. So once you understand that, it's not, it's not as complicated as some people think it is. So there's a whole lot of, it's like high pins go longer. Lower pins make the ball roll earlier. No, they don't. I can make a ball go longer with a lower pin, and I can make it roll earlier with a longer pin. It's how that ball responds to friction that is consistent. If I put a lower pin on the ball, the ball always provides a smoother motion. So if I want a smoother motion, I lower the pin. If I want my ball to respond to friction quicker, then I raise the pin. Now, if I use a lower pin further down the lane, I don't get what I want. If I use a higher pin with an earlier break point, I don't get what I want either. So what we need to understand is, and I hear pro shops doing this with coaches and bowlers, so I made that ball, I laid that ball out with a lower pin so it would pick up earlier. No. You used a lower pin so when it picked up earlier, it gave you a better motion. It doesn't make it. It allows you to do it. Does that make sense? Well, it makes perfect sense, and I've been a, a follower of, of Mo Pinnell and a lot of Brunswick uh, specialists, uh, bowler speak, in that lower pins slow down response time to friction, higher pins can quicken it. If we need to change length, it can be done with surface or pin distance, not necessarily pin location. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and, and it's all about shape. In other words, you have the right shape, your ball reads the friction at the proper time, your pin carry should be above average. The wrong time, you're going to leave eights, nines, and tens. Correct. And you just relate that, you know, you relate the layout to whether it's a friction factor or a response time factor, and use the combination of the two and go from there. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. There's no computer chips in that bowling ball. 
Well, ho- hopefully we have some computer chips in our, our brains, because at times it does get rather confusing, especially when you perceivably have a good look to the pocket, you have good hitting power, but horrible pin carry. Mm-hmm. In other words, the ball's not appearing to hit weak, you're not seeing deflection, yet you're seeing lots of nines in, in lieu of, of strikes. And then a, a bowling, another bowler on that pair has more deflection, but considerably better pin carry. And, and that's, I think, the confusing part of the game for a lot of bowlers. And generally, they just pick up another ball out of the bag and hope it carries, and the other one didn't. But understanding why and how, I think, could, let's say, cut down that process to... I, I think that you hit it. I think you hit it right there when you said ten deflection. You know, I went to the Middle East one time when I was on the, you know, when I was working for Brunswick, and, and in the Middle East, they don't know anything about ball motion. They just bowl, and they react instinctively. Well, it's instinctive of every bowler to think that more backing reaction or quicker response means better pen carry. Well, Joe, you know it doesn't. In the Middle East, I challenged them. I drilled up all these bowling balls, set them out there, and said, okay, I just go ball. Didn't say anything about any of them. And I wanted to see what they did. Bowlers, no matter where they are, make their choices based upon how the pins react. If I leave a couple pins, that ball's in the bag. If I leave a nine pin, if I leave a four nine, if I leave a four pin, if I got pins going across the lane and it looks powerful, they try to line up to it. And that leads to a lot of problems. How many times do you see somebody, you know, they're, they're leaving a ten pin, so they, they move and they leave a four pin. The ten pin, four pin trap is because they don't understand how to use response time. And you can do that between company comparisons. You can do that between bowler comparisons. That is the simple lesson that people need to learn. And until they really truly understand it, while friction is the first factor in today's game, the more important factor is the response time factor. Because it just needs to be learned. Like, we all know that storm balls a quicker response than any other company balls. It's, it doesn't mean it hooks more. It means when it sees friction, it responds quick. Well, what if that friction's in the front? It responds in the front real quick. So it looks like it rolls earlier. But a lot of people will go and say, well, my storm ball goes longer and flips harder. No, it allows you to get in the oil and get it longer and get it to come back. So when you learn how to use your company's balls, your company's layouts, then because the layouts I use for a bungee ball aren't the same layouts I use for a storm ball. But it's still relative to ball motion. I'm trying to create a certain ball motion. It never changes. I just got to use a different layout with a quicker ball than I do a slower ball. Now, I've done a test. And I hope uh, you have a time for this. The determinator. We all know what the determinator is. Before I even put a hole in the bowling ball and a new ball comes out, I put a ball on the determinator and put a little bit of oil on the rollers that, that rotate the ball. Just put a little bit on there. 
and then I put my finger on top of the ball. Then I turn on the switch. How quickly does that ball grab? Do that, and you'll see a dramatic difference between companies. That's an important factor that people don't even understand at this point. And what type, what, what type of oil, Rick? It doesn't matter. You can, you can use kitchen oil. <laughs> but you know as well as I do that if you want to go use the change in oil, I can tell you a story back when Kegel went from defense oil to offense oil. Overnight, my job became harder. My job was a whole lot easier with defense oil. I didn't have to be so great with layout. I didn't have to be so great with surface preparation. My balls look good. But as soon as they changed oils, oh, my gosh. Overnight, things changed. That's how important it is. How does that cover stock react to the oil? Well, very, very important Rick, very insightful information here. Uh, again, check out uh, bowlu.com. they got camps all over the United States for everyone. Uh, take a look at these, like Rick was saying, very insightful information. And, um, Rick, I'm definitely going to have to look you up uh, as you guys are making your way out to the Northwest uh, coming up here, looks like in August, at, uh, at Brian Smith Center up, up in, um, up in uh, Roseburg, Oregon. Um, but I, it's just very insightful information, and we're going to have to have you back again. I know three years is way too long to get you on uh, with all the insight and knowledge that you have from our sport from all your years from drilling back on the, on the tour back in the old days with Larry Lichtenstein to just everything, Rick. Thank you for all your information, and, and also thank you for everything you're doing to, to help our sport here as, as um, you know, we're all in this together trying to improve our game, improve bowlers, and keep this sport going along strong here and, and keep, keep the forward momentum that I think we have. Well, guys, thank you for the opportunity, and, you know, anything I can do to help you, let me know. I'll be there for you, and, uh, you know, I... I I think the important message is what you just said. We've got to do this together because there is, there's no way in the world that any one of us can do it. And when I travel the world, I'm seeing the passion. I'm seeing the coaches with the passion, seeing the bowlers with the passion, the manufacturers, the governing body. Everybody has it. we just got to get on the same page. And I hope that we're able to accomplish that before we Yes, I hope so as well. And best of luck. Thank you, Rick. Okay, guys. Take Take care. care.